Um, well, good morning. Welcome. Uh, I'm Steve Keller. If you don't know me, uh, lead pastor here. Good to have you today. I see a few visitors out and about. Great to have you. Um, welcome to Acts chapter 11 and about a half through chapter 12. Uh, I'm going to pray and then we're going to get right to it today. All right, y'all ready? Okay, this side. All right, good. All right, here we go. Lord, thank you for this morning. And God, again, the privilege of just being able to draw near to you. Um, God, you were such a mystery to us, uh, maybe even a fairy tale before Jesus Christ. And yet here you are, a living reality. Um, God, who is, is right here with us. And we just thank you for what you can do in our hearts and our lives. We thank you for the journey that we're on as individuals and as a church. And we just pray today that you would speak to our hearts and inspire us the way only you can do by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so here's the deal today. Uh, so we're going through chapter 11, 19 to the end of uh, 11, and then all of chapter 12. So there are two themes to listen up for this morning. The first one is in chapter 11, and this is a great big rah, rah, rah. It's expansion, okay? Growth, vitality, the church just exploding in all the right ways. And then there's chapter 12, which is about opposition. Okay, so let's uh, get right into the first part. I'll read a little bit of 11, 19 through 26. So here we go. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived, he saw that the, what the grace of God had done, and he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He, Barnabas, was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Now, there's a lot here, okay? Um, there's so much here in these chapters, I encourage you to read this one at home. Uh, you'll get more, trust me. But what leaps off the page in these first seven verses here is that the first church did not grow by transfer growth, okay? Uh, you know what I mean by transfer growth? Some of y'all have heard the, the old joke about um, the man who was stranded on a desert island or a deserted island. And uh, so he's there all by himself. For 20 years, he's alone on this island. And finally, one day, he looks up, and in the distance, he sees a boat being rowed to shore, and he realizes this is it. He's overjoyed. The men get to shore, and, and he says, yes, get me out of here. And so the guys go, look, that's, that's why we're here. We, we're going to rescue you, but first, got to show us how you did it. How did, how did you live by yourself all these years? So the guy's like, all right, all right, real quick, a tour. So he walks him over to a little hut, and he said, this is my house. You know, I built this myself. This is my home. And he takes him over to a little plot of land, and he goes, this is my garden, you know, my source of food. And this little running stream over here, that's my water. 
And then he pointed to another building not too far off in the distance, and he goes, and that, that's my church. And they're like, wow, that's incredible. And then one of the guys goes, but yeah, wait a minute, what about that other building right behind your church? And he goes, oh, man, that's where I used to go to church. (laughs) What's the point? The first church didn't grow like that. With people coming from one church to another, the first church grew through people sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with one another. It grew by by people calling Christ Lord, joining the church, and becoming a part of the family of God. And here's specifically what's happened in Acts. Uh, We we have in chapter 8, everyone's scattered. Remember, there's that persecution when Stephen is martyred and Christians, for their lives, they take off in all four directions, east, west, north, and south, right? But what's incredible about these first Christians is that they didn't hide in caves, right? For fear of their lives, as they went, wherever they went, they shared Jesus Christ. And and so the first church grew, and this is what's happened. People have been sharing the good news of Jesus with Greeks and Jews, the good news that we don't have to live in sin. And in spiritual death, we can come to life, and it's through Jesus Christ. Now, verse 21 contains a couple of very important phrases here when it comes to to the church growing. Um, The first one is that the Lord's hand was with them, okay? That is a big key to people coming to Christ. I don't know if you know this yet, and I hope I don't ruin your day when I tell you this. We can't save people. We can't. I mean, you can take every evangelism seminar, learn every trick of the trade when it comes to witnessing. We can't save people. Only God can do that. Only by God's Spirit can someone become convinced that there is a Savior, that there is a a heaven and a hell, and and that Christ loves them, and they could be convinced to say yes to Jesus Christ. Um, But the flip side of that, too, there's also kind of a promise contained in there for the church that if we will be faithful to do that, you know, and live out the Great Commission and share Christ, the hand of the Lord will be with the church. Sometimes we wonder that in the church, like, well, what's going on? You know, where are all the people? Well, usually all the people that we'd love to see come to the church, sometimes in the church they're right on the shelf with our witnessing program or or our lack of sharing Christ. So the hand of the Lord was with them, but there's also in here a description of salvation. And it's real subtle, but it's right here, and it says, people believed and turned to the Lord. In other words, what salvation is is someone confesses Jesus Christ. Verbally, in prayer, they confess Jesus Christ is Lord, and they believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead. And then, but the turning is a big deal. They do a double turn, right? They turn away from a life of sin, and they turn into a life with God in Jesus Christ. That's salvation in a nutshell, okay? So that's what's been going on here. But there's something interesting And it's that because this expansion, some of it happened in Antioch. When the church leaders hear this, they're like, hold on just a second. We have got to send somebody to check that out. Now, the reason they need to check out this in Antioch is because Antioch happened to be a very happening city, okay? Real cosmopolitan, real cool place to be a big center of trade. It was like the third largest city in the Roman Empire at that time. And uh, 
uh, Antioch was a place where if, if you wanted to have a good time, a real good time, you'd go to Antioch. Because you could party it out in Antioch. You know, it was just kind, kind of a, a sinful, fun, wild place like that. But it was also known as, as a place of pagan religion. Pagan religion had a real foothold in Antioch. So when the church leaders hear, wait a minute, revival in Antioch? Jesus is becoming famous in Antioch? They got to send somebody to verify this. I think their choice was a great one. Um, a guy named Barnabas. Uh, we, we know Barnabas is a good choice because verse 24 says, uh, Barnabas was a good man. And then it defines what a good man is. Full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. So Barnabas is someone, he, he's a little field tested, right? He, he, he's known to be an up-and-coming leader, but he's going to be a man of wisdom and discernment. They can trust his eyes and they can trust his report. We, we know something else about Barnabas too. Uh, his nickname, right? Or what his name means. Barnabas is known as the son of encouragement, right? So Barnabas is one of these guys, you know, he, he's just full of life and love. In fact, Barclay says this about Barnabas. He says, when they sent Barnabas to Antioch, they sent the man with the biggest heart in the church. Pretty good representative, okay? So Barnabas goes, gets to Antioch, and what he sees when he, he gets there is the grace of God everywhere. So Barnabas walks into this pagan, dark city, and what he sees are changed lives, people excited about Jesus. There, there's like a buzz on the street. There's just this spiritual Christian energy. And what happens to Barnabas is he goes into full Barnabas mode, right? Full encouragement mode. And even the little bit we get here from him is he's telling him, man, hold on. Everyone, hold on to what you've got. Stay true to the Lord with all your heart. So what's happening with Barnabas is he's just stepping right into this stream of ministry, and he's enjoying this spiritual harvest. He's like, like a kid in a candy store. And you're going to love this about Barnabas if you've never seen it before. He thinks of someone who he could share this with. Barnabas's mind goes to Saul of Tarsus, the Apostle Paul. You remember the, the guy with the real dirty rep, you know? And people are scared of him, you know, he, but he's come to Christ. He's stepping into ministry. So he thinks about Saul, and, and he realizes the persecution that Saul's been facing because his first days in ministry have been tough days. And so he says, I want to share this with him. And he goes, and he finds him. And for a whole year, Saul comes back, and together they share in the joy of this brand-new ministry. Together they enjoy this spiritual harvest. And then chapter 11 ends with a, a key footnote. It's pretty neat. In verse 26, it says the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Up to this point, the disciples have been called brethren. They've been called, well, of course, disciples. They've been called followers, people of the way. But here for the first time, they are called Christian. And Christian means, just so you know, in, in the original language, it means little anointed ones, or little Christ. So I don't know if you think of yourself that way, but there's an upgrade for you this morning. And uh, that kind of wraps up chapter 11 and all the expansion. So let's turn now our attention to the opposition. 
Let me read a little bit, uh, chapter 12, 1 through 5. See if you can feel a mood shift as we go into this. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And by the way, in Scripture, that is code for beheaded. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover, so Peter was kept in prison. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Do y'all feel that? You know, that feeling of going from hallelujah to holy cow? I mean, that's heavy stuff. Um, and and really, that, that is the sense, though. You know, we've gone from 11, which is the church just expanding like ripples in a pond, to dark stormy seas, hurricane force winds, as Herod Agrippa I, okay? And this is the grandson of Herod the Great. Uh, he's just killed P, uh, James, and he's going to try and kill Peter just a few hours later. And just so you know, if you ever wonder, uh, every Herod in Scripture is a stinker, okay? The whole family tree is rotten. Whenever you read the word Herod, get ready, because it's not going to be good what follows. So pretty much holding true to form, um, he, he first has James killed, beheaded. And just so you know, this is the very same James that walked with Jesus, okay? This is the same James from uh, Mark chapter 10, if you remember the scene, one day he and his brother approach Jesus, and they've got a great idea, and they say, hey, Jesus, you know, we just thought this one up. We know you're going to be on board. We've got an idea, and, and the idea is that when you come into your glory in heaven, one of us ought to sit on your right, and one of us ought to sit on your left. Well, wouldn't that be a great picture for everyone? And Jesus answers back, and it, it's kind of an answer of warning, and he says to him, guys, you, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Can you be baptized with the baptism I'm about to undergo? And what he's referring to is his crucifixion, right? His arrest, his flogging, his crucifixion. And these guys answer back, oh, sure, Jesus, no problem. Words go right over their heads. But then Jesus says back to them, well, you will drink from my cup. And that is this moment for James. As he is martyred for the faith, he's martyred for Jesus Christ, and now here is poor Peter, and Peter is just hours away from the same thing. Now, why doesn't Herod do uh, exactly for Peter what he's done for James? Well, Peter's the leader of the disciples. You know, it's, it's met with approval. He's seen that it works, so he nabs Peter, and he goes, let's make this one more public. Let, let, let's drag him out in front of everyone. Let's, let's do this with some style. And so here is Peter, and he's, he's in jail. And from the text, he has 16 guards, okay? Four different watches of four soldiers each. So he is being guarded 24 hours a day in jail with, with you know, two soldiers on each side, two at the door. And you stop to think, well, why so many? You know, jail ought to be enough, right? Throw a guy in jail and, and, you know, lock him up and he's there. But there's kind of an issue with Peter in jail. Um, if you've been tracking along with the, the series, in chapter 4, Peter was in jail. 
In chapter 5, Peter was in jail. This is Peter's third time in the slammer. Now, the first two times Peter got out of jail, the, the first time the Holy Spirit came upon him and he gave a defense in, in, in front of the leaders and they were just forced to let him go. The second time he's in jail with some apostles. Do you remember what happens in the middle of the night? He, he gets a jailbreak from an angel. And so the point with Peter at this, at, at this stage of the game in Acts is Peter does have a reputation for being an escape artist. You, you, you got to lock this guy down. You got to surround him with people. So there, there are two sets of chains and again, two soldiers on each side and uh, two at the door. And it is a bleak situation. Now, understandably, the church is frantic. When, when we read there that they are praying earnestly, I mean, think about it if you're the church, okay? Pretend it's me and Donnie. Donnie will be the, Donnie's just been beheaded, okay? <laughs> Sorry about that, bro. I'm not, I'm not doing that today. But, you know, think about it. You know, Donnie's been beheaded. I'm awaiting trial. There's nothing you can do about it. This is, uh, they're, so they're grieving. They're fearful. It's all about to go down. And so, so what they're doing is they have no power except prayer. And by the way, John Stott writes, prayer is the only power which the powerless possess. And so the church is praying. They have gathered together and they are asking God for a miracle. Lord, set him free. God, don't let what happened to James happen to Peter. Please, Father. They're crying out just as, as hard as they can. And Peter, on the other hand, do you notice Peter, what, what he's doing in, in this moment? He's asleep. Peter's asleep at a time like this between two guards. Brother, you, the sand is going out of the hourglass, and he's just knocked out between the two guards. By the way, just like Jesus on the boat in the storm, there's, there, there's, there's a parallel here. So Peter's dead asleep, and then it happens. Just like it happened before, Peter, Peter's asleep, and suddenly he gets a tap. And it's an angel of the Lord, and, and he says, get up. The cuffs fall off Peter. He says, put your cloak around you. Let's go. And the angel leads Peter out of the jail. And doors, by the way, in an age with, with you know, no automation, doors are just opening for them as they walk through. They, they cross the street. They're, they're well out on, on, on the jail here. Peter, by the way, is half asleep the whole time. He thinks he's seeing a vision or he's still dreaming. And finally, though, he comes to his senses and he realizes, I've been rescued. The Lord has done it again. And then he knows what the, the, the others in the church are doing. And so he heads over for the prayer meeting. Peter goes over, knocks on the door, and I think pretty quietly he's saying, hey, it's me. Let me in. And a girl, a servant girl named Rhoda, hears the knocking. She walks over to the door. It's me. Let me in. And she realizes who it is. It's Peter. And she's so excited, she leaves Peter out in the cold, and she runs back into the group, right? And she says to them, this Peter's at the door. I know that voice anywhere. And this whole church, okay, and again, they've all been praying, right? This is what they're asking God for. Lord, with all of their hearts, they're praying for this. They hear her say, Peter is at the door. The answer to your prayer is at the door. God has done a miracle. It's at the door. And what do they say to her? Rhoda, you are out of your mind. That's human nature, isn't it, right? I mean, that, that, that's just how we are. And so anyway, um, 
the chapter ends with three things happening. First of all, the church rejoicing, embracing Peter, cheering. And by the way, we know they're cheering because Peter has to tell them to keep it down. So we have that happening. And then we have Herod who executes the guards who are looking after Peter. And then we have God execute Herod for his wickedness. And then we end with, and the, the, the word of God continues to spread like wildfire. That's pretty amazing stuff, isn't it? You see why I get a little excited telling that story. I just think it's, it's so glorious. And as I said before, there's a lot here. We could pull stuff out forever. We've already gotten some good stuff. But I, I want to make just a two, two quick points as we end this thing. Um, one is that with our theme of expansion and opposition, we have this way as human beings of believing that what we are going through is absolutely unique to us and it's never, ever happened before. You know, in times when things are great, you know, we, you, we, we act like, whoa, you know, look at me, everyone. Have you ever experienced such joy and wonder? And that's good. And when times are hard and times are bad, I mean, it's so easy to just go, oh, the end is coming. You know, the, oh, the church is going to collapse. Oh, I mean, we, we tend to do that. But the, the point is this. Whether times are awesome or awful for the church, the hand of the Lord is always at work. You know, what happens to us in, in the course of, you know, spiritual cycles, opposition and expansion, they are as constant as the sun going up and the sun coming down. Look throughout biblical history and you'll see the church has high moments, the church has low moments. There are times when it feels like we're in the Garden of Eden. There are times when it feels like we're in the middle of a desert, but God is always at work. And I hope you can just see that in chapter 11, you know, when, man, it's like wildfire in Antioch and, you know, all over the place that Jesus is becoming famous. That's definitely God's hand at work. But I'll tell you this in chapter 12, even when James is beheaded and Peter's put in prison, the hand of God is powerfully at work. And it's just good to note that as people. There is never a time when God is not on the move. God isn't doing something great. I, Jane and I look back on our lives. Some of our hardest times have produced some of the greatest fruit. It's just, just the way God is. He's so big and he's so wonderful. He can even use hardship to, to make us into the image of Christ. The second, uh, the second point is this. Uh, there is an age-old question that kind of gets raised in this passage. Um, it's an, it's an age-old question that we all ask ourselves, okay? Now, we usually don't ever talk about this question. We usually don't preach about it. But if you're on a spiritual journey with Jesus, you have asked your, your, yourself this question at some point in your life, especially when you read about people like James and Peter. And the question is, if push came to shove, would I be willing to die for Jesus? A few nodding heads. You've, you've asked that question. Um, and, and it's, it's uh, unfortunately, it is a question I cannot answer for you. Um, I will say that hopefully you will never have to find out the answer to that question. My, my guess, though, is that as Americans, we will probably never be put in that situation. But at the end of the day, I think it's the wrong spiritual question to ask ourselves. I think there's a much better question to ask. And it's a question that is being asked to us all throughout Scripture, all throughout the book of Acts, 
from beginning to end, you probably can already guess what the question is. And the question is not, would I die for Christ? The question is, will we live for Christ? In our age, in our life and times with all the stuff going on and all the headlines and all the war and rumors of war and all, would we live for Jesus Christ? And what I mean by that, and this is a question, man, I've been asking myself this one in the mirror all week, is will I pursue a life in which Jesus Christ is Lord, Master, and King? Not, you know, my ticket out of, uh, you know, off this earth into heaven, my good luck charm, but, but will I really pursue a life that is about Him and is for Him? It's a great question. Will, will I live my life by the Word of God instead of the whims of this world? You know, as, as you grow older, one thing you, you begin to discover, and I'm discovering this every day, is that th the world doesn't have it right. You know, even with our breakthroughs and, you know, the, 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 you know, whatever the whim is of the day, the Word of God has got it right. The one who made us told us how we live and, and live to the full and live abundantly. The Word of God is, is, is a beautiful, beautiful thing for you and I. Will we live by it? Will we, as the book of Acts asks us, will we be filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit? and be led by him in this world? Who to talk to? How to serve somebody? Will we? I'm going to end right there today. Father God, thank you just for these hanging questions that stand before each and every one of us. And Father, I thank you that, that even as we ask those questions to ourselves, we are not left to somehow try to be perfect or never to make a mistake again or figure everything out. God, God, the the invitation from you is, is to love you, to know you, to let you work on us, to draw near to you, to worship you, to, to just follow after you. And God, we want that. And, and I'm even mindful. Here's one other thing I could have preached today, which is even seeing Peter there in jail being set free by you. Lord, each and every one of us in this life as, as Christians, as people on this earth, God, we all also struggle. Paul talks a lot about that, struggling with sin. And God, we just recognize today that it is not by might or power that we overcome addiction, that we get cleaned, that we not only get saved but grow up in that salvation. It is by your Spirit. And so, Father, we, we just pray that you would set us free, continue to grow us up. Lord, love us into fullness. And God, I am so thankful today for this church family, people who have come together, to, to really serve you and seek you and to make a difference in this world for you in Jesus' name, amen.